Mark chapter 10, verses 28 through 30. Those verses reveal one of the great blessings of Christianity. I mentioned, I mentioned this in my final bulletin article this week. Peter said to Jesus in verse 28 of Mark 10, as it is recorded, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. As I think about a final message to the family of God here at White Oak, I think about those words. And as I reflect upon the years with which I have been blessed to work in local work with congregations in various places, I think about houses and brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and all of these things that Jesus mentioned, because indeed, I have been blessed, as has my family, to be blessed by so many in those places as well as here, many of whom, as I mentioned in my bulletin article, have gone on to their eternal reward. But they were a blessing to our lives personally, and they shall never be forgotten. When you think about a final lesson, and this is number 550 that I have stood in this pulpit and preached since I have been at White Oak since July of 2009, what would that final lesson be? Well, I couldn't think of a better title than finally. Finally. But as we think about that word finally, in five final exhortations that we're going to look at tonight from Scripture. The word finally doesn't mean finally, in the sense that it doesn't mean that this is an absolute forevermore conclusion to any contact or relationship that we shall ever have again. The word finally in Scripture literally means for the rest or for that which remains. There's something more Paul as we look at his verses tonight in these five final exhortations. exhortations He's saying, here's the remainder of what I want to say. And I think these five exhortations certainly reflect what I would like to say to this good congregation here at White Oak. Finally then, brethren, as we look at the first of these five exhortations in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 1, Finally then, brethren, Paul writes to the Thessalonians, We urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. That's a great exhortation from the Apostle Paul to a church that he had the privilege of beginning. Finally then, literally for the rest, brethren, we urge. And that word urge indicates to beseech or to implore. 
I beseech you, brethren, I urge you, and exhort is to call or to summon someone to something. I, I want to urge you, I want to call or summon you by exhorting you in the Lord Jesus to do something that's vitally important, and that is to abound, to abound more and more. In what? Well, the immediate context, if you look around this particular verse, the immediate context would bring to mind love, the crowning characteristic of the Christian life. And that's what we should abound more and more in, in love, and hopefully as we do, that, that abounding in love will affect every other aspect of our lives. If you go back to verse 12 of the previous chapter, 1 Thessalonians 3, he says this, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And then we're back to this verse we're looking at. Finally then, brethren, we exhort and urge you in the Lord Jesus to abound more and more. And so love, love is the immediate context. But obviously, Paul's desire for the church at Thessalonica, my desire for the church at White Oak, our desire mutually for the church everywhere, would be that we abound more and more in every Christian grace and in every characteristic of the Christian life. We look at verse 2 that follows this exhortation, and he says this, For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. You know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Paul was an inspired man. And we know that the commandments that he gave the church at Thessalonica were truly inspired by the Holy Spirit. I have given no such inspired instruction to the church at White Oak in 550 sermons. But if I've been true to my charge, I have imparted to the best of my ability the whole counsel of God from this book. And the variety of topics presented has been a variety designed to do just that, to discharge my responsibility to declare the whole counsel of God. And any gospel preacher has that responsibility. And any gospel preacher can fulfill that responsibility if he will be a preacher who is true to the book and seeks with all of his heart to impart the whole counsel of God and to do it in a spirit, hopefully, of love. As Paul to the Ephesians said, speaking the truth in love. To what end? That we may grow up and mature and be the kind of people that God would have us be. To walk, to walk and to please God. Notice that expression in this exhortation. How is it that we please God? The only way to please God is by walking with God. The only way to please Christ is by walking with Christ. And so pleasing God in Christ involves activity. It involves a walk. This is a great exhortation. Abound more and more. Don't ever become complacent. But strive to abound more and more in every Christian grace. And then we come to the second of our five final exhortations. And that's a beautiful text. It's a part of a context that was our sister Marty Weir's favorite 
passage, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. Tonight we look at verse 8. There's our word, finally. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. What an exhortation. What a passage. Whatever things are true. That word true is right where we would expect to find it in the list, isn't it? Right at the beginning of the list, because without truth, everything else completely falls apart. Everything must be based in truth, and therefore, whatever things are true, those are the things that must be and have to be uppermost in our minds. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. In John 17, 17, in his fervent prayer to the Father, just hours before his betrayal and ultimate crucifixion, he prayed, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth, as he prayed in that context for the apostles themselves. Truth is paramount. But then whatever things are noble, whatever things are noble, that word is translated reverent in 1 Timothy 3, verse 8, in reference to the qualifications for deacons, and again at verse 11 regarding their wives. Whatever things are reverent, there has to be a spirit and an attitude of reverence in our service to God. And then he says, whatever things are just, equated to being righteous and doing the right thing by people at all times. Joseph in Matthew 119 was said to be a just man. He was just. Hebrews 11.4, Abel was declared righteous or just by his sacrifice that he offered in compliance with the will of God. Going back to Noah, he was a just man, perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Let us determine that we'll always be a people who are just, and then a people who are pure. Whatever things are pure. That word is mentioned and translated a little bit differently in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 at verse 11. And it's the idea of being blameless and clear and pure in terms of our lives in the sight of God. And as Paul wrote his second Corinthian letter to the church at Corinth, who had heeded his admonition and had withdrawn their fellowship from the brother who was living with his stepmother is the indication, a situation about which they had first been complacent and even puffed up. He wrote to correct that attitude, and they responded favorably, and the man repented. That's the clear indication as we read in the second Corinthian letter. And at verse 11 in commending them for their compliance with his will, he wrote these words. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence is produced in you? What clearing of yourselves? What indignation? What fear? What vehement desire? What zeal? What vindication? In all things you proved yourselves to be clear. There's our word, clear, translated there, the same word that's translated pure here in 
Philippians 4 and verse 8. You proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. And oh, how vitally important it is that we prove ourselves as individuals and as congregations to be clear in all matters relating to the will of God. And then whatever things are lovely. Whatever things are lovely. You know, the word itself has a lovely sound to it, doesn't it? And it's the idea of being pleasing and being acceptable. Jesus in John eight twenty nine made it clear that he was never alone because his Father was always with him. Listen to these words. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. And when we determine to always do those things that please him, he'll never leave us alone. He will always be with us. To the Galatians, Paul on one occasion wrote and, and said to them, Do I seek to please men or persuade men? Or is it God about whom I'm concerned? Or do I seek to please men? Galatians 1.10 is the passage. And he goes on, For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Our determination must always be that we will please God. Do those things that are lovely, pleasing, and acceptable in the sight of God. And then he says, Whatever things are of good report. Good report. What is meant by good report? The idea there is sounding well is the idea of the word there, the phrase. Sounding well. In other words, spoken in a kindly spirit. Always determining that what we say to each other will be said in a kindly spirit, sounding well. If there's any virtue, that's moral goodness. A moral excellence is the idea of virtue. If there is any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, Paul says, don't just casually think about these things every now and then. Do what? Meditate on these things. Meditate on these things. And then our next of the five final admonitions that I'd like for us to think about is found in Ephesians chapter 6 at verse 10 where Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong. How? In the Lord. There is no strength outside of the Lord, but in the Lord there is strength. And how are we to... Manifest that strength in the power of his might. Reminds me of a passage that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, where he said, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. That's a worthy admonition as well, is it not? But how are we going to be strong in the Lord? It's through the power of his might. But where is that power deposited for us now? How do we receive that power? How do we draw on that power? Where is that power? That power, again, is here. 
It is in the Word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, a passage we have quoted time and time again. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's the power of his might deposited completely and finally in the written word. Time doesn't permit us to elaborate on this admonition, but when you read the verses that follow this one, you find what? Specific instruction about an armor, about an armor, and about putting on the whole armor of God. Why, Paul? That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. What's involved in that armor? Gird your waist with truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Charge your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, take the shield of faith by which you will be able to withstand all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the what? Sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then he adds in verse 18, praying always, undergird everything with prayer. Permeate your life with prayer. And as we think about prayer, we look at our fourth, finally, admonition. Finally, brethren, pray. Pray. And don't ever take for granted the power and the efficiency of prayer. And in this case, Paul is asking for prayers of his Thessalonian brethren. Pray for us, he writes that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. As we leave the White Oak Church, we covet your prayers for us. We covet your prayers for the work that White Oak has been a part of for many years and is still a part of, the Good News Today work with which we will be laboring full time. And so many of you have been supportive individually and the congregation in terms of contribution to this work. And I've mentioned before, and I'll say again, I appreciate so much the vision and faith of John Henderson and J.C. when they took on this work. And this has been a work of White Oak, not a separate work, not a competing work, but a complementary work a work of the White Oak Church and other congregations and individual Christians in so many places who are concerned that the word of the Lord may run swiftly. And that's what we have to do with the word of the Lord, isn't it? It has to run swiftly. And if it is going to run swiftly, we have to take full advantage of every means that God in His providence has given to us to enable that word to get to as many people as possible, as quickly as possible. Because as I have often illustrated it many years ago, that's the rate at which people are dying. About 105 every 60 seconds. How can we get the word to all the world? We must use the means that God has given us. And we covet your prayers as we devote full time to that effort, and we express our heartfelt thanks.
to the church for its continued support and to individuals who are here tonight who have given above their contribution to the church to help this work. Brother Joe just recently, in the passing of dear sister Marty, requested that in lieu of flowers, contributions be made to Good News Today. Others in this congregation have done that very thing, and you have responded. And for that, we are deeply grateful and always will be. Brethren, we need to pray that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and that it will be glorified as it does. And we're thankful to the individuals who've given of their time, like Jerry Wright and others, to assist in the production of the program. And souls that have been and will be reached will be attributable in great part to what this congregation and individuals in this congregation, many of you, have done to make that possible. And we deeply appreciate that. That the word may run swiftly and be glorified. But you know, the way the word is to be glorified is also through our lives, isn't it? The word of the Lord will be glorified as our lives reflect the glorious God whom we serve. It's reminiscent of what Paul wrote in the Philippian letter at chapter 2 and verse 14 beginning. When he wrote, Do all things without murmuring and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, listen to it, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast, some translations put holding forth the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. You hold forth the word of life as a Christian. You are shining lights in a world darkened by sin. And the word of God is glorified in your life as a faithful child of God. And then, finally, our final of the five exhortations. Finally, brethren, Paul writes to the Corinthians in his second epistle, farewell, farewell. We look at that word farewell and we think of it many times as goodbye. The word doesn't mean goodbye. The word literally means be well, fare well. Paul is saying, my wish for you is that you would fare well. It means to be joyous. It means to be filled with joy. It means to be filled with peace, as he will later mention in the same admonition. But it means to prosper. It's like what John wrote to Gaius. His wish for him was that he would prosper and be in health even as his soul prospers. And that's our wish for you. He goes on in this admonition to say, become complete. You remember the church at Corinth had had some difficulties and challenges and Paul in that first Corinthian letter had written to them to correct some of those things and to address some of the things that were plaguing the church, 
at Corinth. He says to them, keep on moving forward and become complete. Be whole. Be whole. Be of good comfort. Be willing to be comforted by exhortation that is given to you. Be of one mind, he says. You remember the difficulty that Paul addressed about the church at Corinth back in chapter 1, verses 10 through 13? There, you remember, he wrote, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. He went on, for it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, he asked, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Rhetorical questions. To ask is to answer. And so he writes to them in that second epistle and says, Be of one mind. Be of one mind. And he says, Live in peace. Live in peace. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 reminds us, Pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You're not going to see the Lord in terms of being approved unless you pursue peace with all men and holy lives. And without that, no one will see the Lord. And I really like what Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 14 at verse 19 along these same lines. Therefore, let us pursue the things. Don't wait for them to come to us. Let's actively pursue what things, Paul? The things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another and pursue the things by which we can edify one another, build one another up. Not tear each other down, but build one another up and live in peace. And when we do those things, Paul says, the God of love and peace will be with you. The God of love and peace will be with you. And that's certainly our desire for the church here, that the God of love and peace would be with you. Five Final exhortations. And they are beautiful and sobering and significant exhortations. And I believe, as I have reflected upon them, that they reflect as closely as I can what our desire for this good church would be. Some of us may not meet again on this side of eternity. That is a distinct possibility. We don't know what tomorrow holds for that matter. But there's one other, finally, passage that we must never lose sight of. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, 
but also to all who have loved his appearing. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 8. That's the day toward which we can all look forward as we bring our lives into harmony with his will. But for us to look forward to that day, we have to love his appearing. And what does Paul mean by love his appearing? He surely means that those who've loved him here will love him when he comes again. But those who've loved him here will be those who have obeyed him here. For Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Believe with all of your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's what is absolutely essential as we begin the process of becoming children of God who can look forward to that final coming. John 8, 24. Believe that I am he or die in your sins. But we must add to that faith repentance. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all in like manner perish. Luke 13, 3. And he repeated those words at verse 5. And then Jesus promised that whoever will confess him before men, he will confess before the Father in heaven. Matthew 10, verse 32. And finally, he said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. From this pulpit, we have always presented the simple but beautiful and absolutely essential plan by which man must respond to the grace of Almighty God and bring himself into covenant relationship with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. And that process has been, always will be, until time is no more. Hear it, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized for the remission of sins. If you haven't done those things, we plead with you to do it this very night. There may not be another. And if you need to come home to your first love as a wayward child who has sinned in a way to bring reproach upon the blood-bought body of Christ, his church, come home and repent. Make that abundantly clear, and it's abundantly clear in Scripture that as you do, God will forgive. And forget forevermore the sins that are against you. If you need to respond in that way, come now as we stand to sing to encourage you.